1: You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio every
0: weekday. Or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News. Jason Mann, just going through the virus headlines, I felt like this morning. uh, New infections in Florida slowing to the lowest level since mid-June. That's a good sign. Arizona uh, reported no deaths for the second time in a week. Also good. But scientists in Hong Kong, as you mentioned earlier, this I find troubling. Confirming the first case of coronavirus reinfection. And then uh, the president saying a treatment based on blood plasma donated by people who recovered from the virus will be expanded even before researchers fully understand how well it works. And I know that this is the environment that we're in. There's a lot to unpack this Monday. So let's get an update from Dr. Dave Westner. He's professor of biology at uh, Davidson College, College, excuse me, back with us and on the phone from Davidson, North Carolina. Uh, Dr. Westner, so nice to have you back with Jason and myself. I got to ask you the first thing, though, is something we just talked about talked about for our New York audience about how Mayor de Blasio is now kind of changing the plans for bringing kids back, and they're going to have class outside. This whole idea about air quality and ventilation, it's not great inside the school, so they're going to do it outside. How much safer? How does that change the dynamic?
2: Hi, Carol and Jason. Hi. Thanks, for, thanks for having me back again. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, clearly being outdoors is better than being indoors. I mean, there's there's just more Ventilation, as you mentioned, there's there's more room for the virus to dissipate. Um, so, yeah, an outdoor group is, is going to be safer than an indoor group, yes.
1: And so help us separate the signal from the noise with all these headlines. And and Carol was mentioning some of them. And I feel like anytime any of us have a conversation with family or friends on Zoom, every meeting sort of starts with, all right, well, what do we believe? What do you believe? What do we need to know? What's the most important thing, especially when it comes to the vaccine and therapeutic side, as we, you know, here we are in August of 2020.
2: Yeah, there has been a lot recently, as you mentioned. Uh, you mentioned at the very beginning the, the report out of Hong Kong of a person who got reinfected. Yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. That's one person. Um, you know, what can we make of that? I don't know at this point. Um, I think the other big news has been the, the whole story about plasma and use mm-hmm. of convalescent plasma as a, a therapeutic. Um, just you know, real briefly, the idea of using plasma as a therapeutic has been around for a long time. and The idea is you get infected by a virus, you recover their antibodies in your blood in the serum of your blood um, you provide that to a person another person who's been infected and it sort of jump starts their response to the virus
0: are there it, ever though negative reactions i do wonder about that when you're you know putting in somebody else's antibodies right there is rejection there's complications sometimes or is mm-hmm. there
2: Right. It's been tried a lot. And uh, yes, there's there's some risk associated with it. The risk seems to be pretty low, though. Okay. Um, the upside is, is you know, debatable as well, though. We haven't seen you know, really good results with any virus in the past that, that this has been, been used with. Um, most of the recent stories have been about the, um, a study at the Mayo Clinic where they use plasma for about 35,000 really sick individuals with COVID-19, and they released their results um, about a week ago. Um, And what they showed was that individuals who received plasma within the first three days of their diagnosis with COVID-19 had a lower mortality rate than individuals who received plasma four or more days after their diagnosis. Mm. Mm. So timing matters. So timing matters. You know, the the one problem with the study, it it wasn't a, a randomized controlled study in any way. Everyone got plasma. They were all really sick individuals. There was a marginally lower mortality rate if you got plasma early rather than late. Um, but beyond that, we can't say a whole lot from that study, I don't think.
1: And so, help us understand as someone who knows far, far, far more about this than certainly I do, and I'm going to dare say Carol does too. She's pretty. You can put but me in that group. I'll put you in that group. Um, what's a good vaccine? Like, how do we sort of look at something and say, all right, this is something we should really go all in on, or this is something I, as a consumer or as a patient, can feel good about.
2: That's another great question. You know, there's lots of vaccine candidates in the pipeline right now. You know, there's something like 130 different formulations that are being studied at some level. Um, I think there's eight of them in phase three trials, which are sort of the large the large right. scale efficacy trials. Um, you, know, you know, will one of them be, you know, quote, successful? Yeah, I think so. But what does success mean? Yeah, I think we we Tend to think of, you know, you get a vaccine, you're good to go. You know, you, you don't have to worry anymore. Um, you know, that may not be the case. We may have a vaccine that is 60% effective. You know, you're 60% less likely to become infected if you got the vaccine. Um, you know, what does that mean for you as an individual? You know, if, um, you know it's not going to be a case necessarily where you get a vaccine and you don't have to worry anymore.
0: Yeah, it's not going to be like necessary. Like I think about that, yeah. right? It's not like we get some vaccines, right? Or we give them, to- or our kids get them, and we're like, okay, I'm good on that one. I kind of cross it off my left. O-
1: off you go, right? <laughs> right. Back, back you to go. life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Dave Wessner.
0: Jason, let's get back to uh, Dr. Wessner.
1: Let's do it. All right, he is professor of biology down at Davidson College. So, Dr. Wessner, as we look across the fall. What's the thing, you know, we've given the advice to everybody, every doctor we've talked to, you heard it from Dr. Sharstein, down at Johns Hopkins, obviously, we have a great relationship with them, we have a great relationship with you. What's the advice you're giving people, giving families, just giving us as human beings as we move into this next phase, it feels like, of our lives, where we're starting to go back to the office, some kids are going to school, I know it's a little different where you are than where we are here in the tri-state area, what's the best advice for folks?
2: Yeah, I I think it's one of those things where we just have to remain vigilant. I mean, it seems like we've been in this forever. You said it's 24, 25 weeks, whatever it's been now. Um, But, you know, I think we just have to remain vigilant. It hasn't gone away. It's not going away anytime soon. Um, And I think especially as we get into the fall, you're indoors more. You have the confounding factors of influenza season picking up, the common cold picking up. You know, maintaining those mitigation efforts, you know, wearing masks, wearing masks. The physical distancing, social distancing. Yeah, you know, I think people just have to be vigilant and not not let up on those those you know, more simple approaches to preventing transmission.
0: So, where do you think we're going to be in twelve months from now? Where do you think yeah. we'll be, Well, first of all, let's let's be sooner because. <laughs> yeah. How about six? How about six months? Where do you think? Like, how will our life be?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think six months from now, I think we'll have a vaccine. Um, a good one. A, a, a decent one. a vaccine that's maybe 60, 70 percent effective. I think that would be considered a win, quite frankly. Um, But once we have it, you know, you still have to roll it out. People actually have to be vaccinated. That's going to take some time also. Um, So, yeah, I mean, six months from now, have a vaccine, maybe 12 months from now, we'll have it all rolled out and people will be vaccinated. So, you know, I think things are going to get better over the next six to 12 months, but it's not going to be an overnight change.
0: So the, the headlines that we saw, that story, and I, I, forgive me that I don't have the source on it, but it was um, kind of that this is a two-year cycle thing. It's not unreal, if you think it's, about what you said about 12 months from now. So we'll have been roughly, I don't know. 18 months in. Yeah, 18 yeah. months in by mm-hmm.
2: then. Yeah, right. I don't think that's an unreasonable outlook at all to say that you know the, from start to finish, And finish is probably a a fungible word, Um, but it's a two-year process,
1: yeah. Well, I also do wonder, we've only got about a minute left with you, Dr. Wessner, if we are, we do get smarter about pandemics on the other side of this, both, you know, sort of how we react to them, both medically, but also socially, to to some extent.
2: Absolutely. I I think, you know, my hope is that a lot is learned from from this one, because, you know, it's not going to be the last pandemic. Right. we've, We've seen these... It seems like more and more frequently, we're going to see them more and more frequently, I think. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, hopefully we've learned something about the best practices, best approaches from this one that that limits uh, the extent of the next one. Yeah, this well, was hoping. This
0: is Good News Monday. There it is.
1: <laughs> All right. Dr. Dave Wessner, thank you so much. Professor of biology yeah. back with us from Davidson College. On the phone from Davidson, North Carolina. Alma mater of my friend, Burtis Downs. Love Davidson Aww, College. Uh, it's nice. really nice. Uh, really uh, great liberal school down there in North Carolina. I have to say, I read this story this. over the weekend. <laughs> it was all over Twitter. Uh, Mike Regan, such an amazing writer and commentator and analyzer of the market. We should Pete lock him at home us. more often, huh? I know, seriously. <laughs> uh, he, is, he is joining us, as is Joel Weber, the editor of Bloomberg Businessweek. A love letter to Powell, talking about Jay Powell from the Grateful Stock Market. A satire, Joel. Take it away.
3: Uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of had this idea that um, the the Fed was worthy of a, a little bit of a love letter as uh, the stock market, you know, kind of just keeps creeping ever higher and um, in, into, you know, record uh, territory. Um uh, almost you know almost day after day now um and so what i i kind of uh, uh thought about was you know who could do such a feat and uh, that led me to mike gregain so mike when i invited you to uh to dream with me on this where where did your head go
4: <laughs> well you know, Joel, I'm, I'm willing to dream your dreams along with you wherever, wherever, wherever. <laughs> Wow, this and, is uh, quite a moment we're having here on Bloomberg Business <laughs> All right, it's everyone. Touching. But But, I, you know, I just thought it was a clever idea. I mean, how much can you write sort of the same old uh, story about a new record high and, and, you know, credit it with, at least uh, in large part, the the low rates from the Fed and, and what they've done to sort of shore up the corporate bond market so I thought Joel had a really clever idea to kind of approach it from a different angle. So of course I was I was on board and I was trying to figure out, you know, what, what sort of voice would the stock market have if if it, you know, were personified and um I just assumed it would be a real smart aleck, you know, a real a real wise guy. So that, that's that's kind of the tone, <laughs> the tone I went with.
0: Well, but you also unveil some really thoughtful <laughs> questions that I think some market watchers, Mike, are kind of wondering about at this point, right, when it comes to future Fed policy, and in a week where we're going to hear from Jay Powell. Right. And, you know, I, obviously that's the question
4: I think on everyone's mind is, what more can the Fed do? I mean, obviously – uh, they've really uh, inoculated the corporate bond market. I think that's the most important thing, is that in an uh, economic downturn like this, the, the, what really freaks out the stock market more than anything is if that credit market starts to wobble. So the, the Fed by cor- buying corporate bonds and even corporate bond ETFs, I think, sort of took a, a, away a lot of uh, the sort of background risk that stock investors would have worried about. Um, but, you know, the question is, will once the fed starts doing anything i think people get greedy and, and expect more and more uh types of of unconventional policies to to keep the party going um and especially because you know the, the stock market's roaring but that the economy is still a big question mark i mean the numbers aren't as bad as they were in say march and april uh and and may but that we're certainly not back to where we were uh and, you know it, what more could the Fed possibly do? A lot of people are sort of wishful thinking and hoping that it'll, they'll uh, hint at some sort of yield curve control down the road where they'll keep those longer and you know 10- to 30-year yields in check, um, which would influence, obviously, mortgage rates and that sort of thing. But I don't know. I don't know what more you can expect from the Fed. They've kind of pushed back on that sense of yield curve uh, control, that that it's really imminent. Uh, a lot of the speakers from the Fed have, have just said they're not sure it really does as much uh good right. as people are hoping you would um so i certainly all eyes are going to be on pal when he does give that speech at the jackson hole summit
0: joel remember the story last week where we were talking about the hackers and we wanted to do a table read i feel like we should do a table read of this story <laughs> it would be a lot of fun right
3: but my but mike you know like what's a, what's a few more trillion ultimately right um, and that sort of you know <laughs> stole the kicker there a little bit, but you know like what are, what are the odds that you know if the if if the Fed really needed to do more at some point if things really did if, say there's a second uh, a wave of sorts and you know that is the fear as we head into in yeah. the the colder months here that you know that maybe there's a. A second wave that sort of get mixed get, gets a little mixed up around with the with the flu like a, and the common cold you know like we're looking at some stuff that might get crazy again and like what what kind of ammo would, would the Fed potentially have if that if that scenario ever happened?
2: You know I, I,
4: you know, I would guess that that Jay Powell or anyone at the Fed's first reaction to that would be you really got to get the fiscal policy straightened out because that's really where you can get. Focus the help to individuals, uh, unemployed people, and, and struggling business owners that need it a lot more. So I think that would be their first pushback and say, look, uh, we can't solve everything. The, the Congress has to get sort of uh, together and pass something to, to get that fiscal support. Um, after that, I mean, I, it's a good question. I'm sure they'll consider buying more assets, buying more treasuries, more corporate bonds to keep those liquidity in those markets functioning. But um, I think ultimately their pushback would be, look, it's time for the fiscal side to take over uh, and and really, you know, bolster that safety net for everyone. If if what you're talking about uh, turns out to be the case, which I think there's a pretty good chance it could be.
1: Well, I also love Mike. Uh, we only got about a minute left. That you, you know, you do mention the Robin Hood guys, Barstool Sports. I mean, this has all become part of the—dare I say it? Tom Keene is somewhere listening. The zeitgeist here that has contributed to this whole fervor around Jay Powell in many ways.
4: Right, and it's just such a surreal, bizarre uh, thing to witness. To witness in the middle of an uh, uh, economic recession and a pandemic is this sort of. Animal spirits run wild among the sort of individual retail investors of Robin Hood and, and the, you know, the disciples of us, uh, of, uh, Davy Day Trader, uh, Dave Courtney. It's, it's, it's a very, very icing on the cake for a very bizarre year, I think.
0: Uh, can Absolutely. I just say, it's just such a fun read, and you talk about, you know, what was up with the minutes from your last meeting, Fed? Don't get me wrong. I didn't actually read them. If I had the attention span for that type of stuff, <laughs> you'd call me the bond market. <laughs> like, it is just wonderful nuggets. So it's, it's a really must good. read, and I'll make sure it's at on Twitter on my feed, and and uh, share it with everybody.
1: All right. Mike Regan, thank you so much, senior editor and apparently now senior satirist for Bloomberg <laughs> joining us on the phone from New Jersey. Joel Weber, you never know where his mind is going to go. I love the idea that he's like, what about this? It's the so editor of Bloomberg clever. Business Week.
0: He- this is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. All right, so this is a definite hot topic when it comes to the pandemic's impact more broadly on society. On society, excuse me. It's about the urban to suburban move, and you know there's a real debate going on when Jerry Seinfeld ah. actually writes about it in, New York, in the New York Times um, saying, you know what? New York, basically, uh, it's going to bounce back. It's going to be just fine. So uh, there's a fun read. And we'll put that on on Twitter. You should also check out the column by our own Andy Brown, Bloomberg New Economy Editorial Director. In today's Business Week Economics, he's got a column out uh, that specifically talks about the pandemic not stopping the rise of cities. Uh, Andy joins us on the phone in New York City. Andy, good to have you here with us. I, gotta, I can't tell you how many times Jason and I have a conversation with somebody in a certain industry or people who are living, working in New York and, you know, whether or not the city is like on the demise. We've had these debates
5: before. Well, no, it's not. And i, I, I got to tell you, um, Jerry Seinfeld wrote by far the better column. His, his, is, a, his is a great piece. But, I mean, the, the, the idea that that, that that this represents the demise of cities and that somehow or other New York is going to go away, that New York is dead forever, um, uh, as the comedy club owner put it, is, is obviously complete nonsense. And it's completely ahistoric cities are are, are, are where big ideas come from and it always has been like this and and, and ideas arise when people get together and the more people you have, the denser the city, the more connections you have, the more ideas you have. Ideas drive the global economy and they drive humanity. It's been like this since ancient Greece when Plato and Socrates got together and bounced ideas off each other and frequently argued and Florence gave us the Renaissance and Birmingham gave us the Industrial revolution, that there's absolutely no question that the answers to many of the problems that we're facing now in our uh, in our covid uh, destroyed economy and societies will arise from cities and in in, in many ways New York has within itself the power um, to to regenerate right well and that's the point you make and, and
1: that Jerry Seinfeld also makes in, in many ways is that not dead may be different but not only different is okay but Different actually may be better in the long run. Tell us about
5: that. Yeah, well, again, you, you, know, you look back at, at, at history, and it was, it was epidemics, cholera, yellow fever at the end of the 18th century that spurred many of the reforms, um, you know, of, of the urban reforms of the 19th century. So New York built Central Park and put in a reservoir and, and fed by aqueduct. And London dug sewerage systems and Paris tore down its old dingy tenements and recreated itself as, as the city of light with broad boulevards and tree, tree-lined you know, streets fountains. And this really is, a, is is an opportunity for us to rethink cities. Not so much, actually, the infrastructure. That is important. It's really more the people. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be about investing in people and investing in communities. And that's probably where the regeneration is going to come from, not just in New York, but in cities all over the world.
1: Well, and one of the things, Andy, that, that we've talked a fair amount about, and I think you pick up on here and, and certainly is on your mind, is the idea of like, You know what? New York may need a little bit of a reset in in many ways, and certainly Manhattan, which has become so expensive in many ways, a little bit of a correction might actually bring back or regenerate, to, to use your word, some of what makes New York City so
5: great and has historically. Well, exactly, I mean, people Jerry Seinfeld touched on this himself. He came to New York in the, in, in the nineteenth century. He was young, he was full of ideas. He was the 20th creative. century <laughs> the 1970s <laughs> right uh, yeah it, it, yeah, exactly, but but you, you know I mean, so bringing down the cost of living in New York, you may well give rise to a whole influx of younger creative people, and it 's those job hopping millennials that actually. Spread ideas. They both acquire knowledge and disseminate knowledge as they go from job to job. So, you know, I. I, I Sure, the, some of the rich people, they won't come back. And, you know, that's, 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 that's a blow. There's no question. And Governor Cuomo is begging his rich friends come, to come back to, to New York because their spending is important to all kinds of small businesses. But then, you know, if, if you really want to, uh, to, to rebuild New York, you need to, you need to invent new sources mm-hmm. of dynamism, new sources of growth. And people are saying, at least the experts that we have at the New Economy Forum and our committee is saying, you know, the way to do that is to invest in the most deprived parts of New York. So you turn these areas of want and neglect into real sources of demand. They become the new engines of growth in the new economy. And,
0: you know, I got to say, Andy, when you look around New York, I remember going to college in the city and there were parts of the city you just never went to. The far west side, you know, downtown, also midtown. Um, I think about now we have the High Line and like all these cool things that have come out of neighborhoods that maybe you wouldn't go to. There's an interesting part in your column. You talk about the 15 minute city. And I feel like we're increasingly getting better about that, certainly in New York and some of our other major uh, cities around the world.
5: Yeah. So the, the the idea is really reconceptualizing cities as as a series of smaller communities, so that everything within that community, from education to healthcare, um, uh, is within a fifteen minute walk or bicycle ride. And and number one, of course, that means putting in more bicycle paths. They're doing that in Paris right now. I think the mayor Anne Hidalgo calls them corona pistes. Um, But it also means, you know, rethinking uses of buildings, for instance. What could we do with schools that are empty over the weekend? It means mixed-use commercial residential areas. It It really means sort of turning... Turning our our, our our communities into much more sustainable sort of pods, um, and getting us back to it, getting us back to a better future. Nobody wants to go back to long commutes. You no. know? We all want clean no. air. And these have been the advantages of, in, if there are advantages to this desperate period that we're living through. I feel like yeah. if there's
0: a bottom line, I think we. I mean, Jason, you and I talk about this a lot. Like we're so tired of commuting and the time you waste on commuting and what it, what it does to your day. Um, Great stuff as always from Andy Brown. Andy, thank you so much. Andy Brown, editorial director at Bloomberg New Economy, on the phone uh, in New York City. Uh, be sure to check out his columns uh, on the Bloomberg and at bloomberg.com. Right, Jason? Like,
1: yeah, I love his stuff. And uh, and yeah, they, I think we are we're in for a shift. Um, but cities they reinvent themselves. It's totally. part of the beauty of it. And yes. uh, listen, New York has has seen some things over the years. That's for sure. The Drive to the Close. That punk music will drive
5: us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio.
1: All right, it is time for the Drive to the Close. Another green day to kick off the week. Let's understand what's going on in the market. Welcoming back Margie Patel, Senior Portfolio Manager for Wells Fargo Asset Management, joins us on the phone from Boston. Margie, how
6: are things up in Boston? Um, Well, you know, we're uh, ahead of the curve on the COVID. I think we were... Attacked very hard. And uh, we've had pretty good numbers as far as decline. But it looks like uh, COVID is pretty much on a decline everywhere, which is great for the market.
0: Is your world getting back to normal to some extent, Margie? Uh,
6: Well, it's really, uh, I think for the investment business, it's very seamless to work from home, work off site. So we haven't seen any major changes. And I think everyone has been very pleased with how well it's
0: gone. Does that mean you stay working from home? I just got to ask.
6: Well, I think the uh, they did take a survey, and I think it showed the majority of people felt they were working just as well from home as going into the office. So I think that uh, they keep postponing the date at which they'll decide when people come back in. So they're watching and waiting.
1: And so is the, I was going to say, is the recent optimism in the market sort of owing to this sort of sentiment, Margie, but this is a market that feels like it's been optimistic for some time, especially if you look at the NASDAQ, the S&P, both being into the green, the NASDAQ well into the green for the year. What is the the market sentiment at this moment, factoring in everything that we're still worried about as it relates to coronavirus?
6: Well, it's interesting. Since the beginning of June, we've had a more than doubling of cases of COVID. And yet the market is up over 10% over that time period, showing the market is really not focusing on the number of COVID cases. And I think really the market is looking, once again, more fundamentally at the actions that the Federal Reserve took to lower rates, to flood the financial markets with liquidity, to basically say there is a floor under which the market will not go in order to keep the economy stabilizing. So I think that's what the... uh, what the uh, the NASDAQ certainly is looking, and other sectors are slowly picking on to that because we've seen some fundamental changes. Housing, autos have improved, inventories are very low, poised to do a little better if we see a small pickup up in activity, which we've seen. So maybe the market is really looking for a typical reaction after the Fed dramatically lowers rates and increases the amount of liquidity.
0: You know, in any market environment, you can make money, but I do wonder as. You know, Jason talked about, and as we watch the you know watch the continued grind higher on the equity side of things, what makes you nervous, Margie, when you look at the equity market specifically?
6: Well, you have to be, I think, realistic. That a handful of stocks are really what caused the uh, the peaks that we're seeing in the marketplace, and the average stock, the bulk of the market, is actually negative in the Standard and Poor's year to date, especially in the value area. And the, so, the big question is, can that handful of stocks continue to drive the market higher? Will we see a broadening out? will the economy broaden out enough to include a lot of those sectors? And at this point, it's it, you have to be hopeful, but it's not really clear. So I think that it looks as if the market is still going to allow this handful of stocks, <clears throat> top 10, 12, uh, 12%, something like that, to continue to drive upward. And the rest of the market, I think, will just sort of slosh around, waiting for more signs that there's a more substantial pickup in the economy.
1: And so... The Fed, you mentioned it. We have a great story that we were talking with Mike Regan or Mike Regan about earlier, uh, essentially, which is a satirical love letter from the market uh, to Jay Powell for all that he's done. But, but also mentioning, uh, Margie, and I'd love to get your perspective on this, some of the distortions that we've seen in this market owing to the pandemic, specifically thinking about the role of Robinhood and some of these day traders and the retail element. How do you sort of... S- synthesize all of that, both the, the role of the Fed, but also the really meaningful role that uh, retail investors have played uh, across this market?
6: Well, I think you could say <clears throat> the retail, the Robinhood investors, as well as many parts of the hedge fund community, frankly, that uh, those many of those individuals are really dominating the short-term trading that we're seeing, very high volatility. One group of stocks goes up today, Goes down tomorrow because it's very, very technically driven. And I think that is basically a lot of noise. And underneath it all is what's the real fundamentals in the marketplace? Uh, And those trends are still intact, and we're seeing these other people just sort of play around those trends and and not really be a big force in changing the fundamental of the direction, which, frankly, is more the same. The chosen few growth stocks, I think, are going to continue to power up. The rest of the market is going to slosh around and and not make too much uh, progress.
0: So if you had some – oh, go ahead.
6: No, please.
0: I was going to say, if you had new money, Margie, to put to work in this environment, where would you go? Well, I think you have to uh, look for growth and also look for safety
6: because the future really is uh, murky. We, We don't really know. Plus, we have an election. So I would stick with very high quality. Companies that have proven their ability to grow through the downturn, secular growers over many years, and that's what the market has really reflected, but I think it's still the right trend to be on. So safety from a downside correction and ability to profit if the economy advances and these secular um, drivers keep, uh, keep in force.
1: All right. We're going to leave it there. Thank you so much. Marky Patel is Senior Portfolio Manager for Wells Fargo Asset Management. She joined us on the phone from Boston. Carol?
0: yeah good stuff uh, this is someone who has seen a lot of market cycles so'm it's always curious to hear what she has to to say about the market environment and I think you know it's hard to ignore kind of the continued
1: yeah
0: no. forward like I think about how many times we talk about this with Dave Wilson excuse me as I caught my like a little tickle there um but you know we're just looking at stocks continuing to move higher. And I know it's, you know, yep. focused on a few specific names, but nonetheless, you know, we continue to see the move higher. You mentioned the uh, the Dow, right?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, well, listen, it, one, one more good day uh, could happen this week and we could see the Dow in uh, positive territory joining uh, the other major indices here in the United States, the NASDAQ and the S&P, all of which uh, have found themselves in the green. Now, We were talking about Apple earlier. Apple and other tech stocks have had a huge hand in that. So can't discount that. And also can't discount uh, one of the things that I asked Margie about, which is those Robin Hood traders. Thanks so much for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And of course, you can always listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News.